This is an introduction uh, sermon to what we're going to be looking at during the year. So uh, let's pray. Lord, I just would pray that uh, you might speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, I lost my glasses out at the beach over Christmas. I normally take photos uh, uh, for the service, but this is not one of my photos, because if it was, I wouldn't have lost my glasses, right? And I came back from a couple of hours in the surf, and I couldn't find them anywhere. I couldn't find them in my bag where I thought I'd put them. I couldn't find them in the car where I usually put them. I couldn't find them in any of the pockets of my clothes or on my towel or on the ground. And they definitely weren't on top of my head. Uh, So I've had to go and get some new glasses. And at the same time, I've got to that life stage where my arms seem to have got shorter. Because not only do I have problems seeing things at a distance, it's kind of getting hard to see things close up as well. So when I went to the optometrist, they said, I've got to get progressive lenses. And uh, while that will revolutionise the way I see things, for, quite a, 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 for a period of time it's going to be kind of disorientating. I was assured that it's going to transform my life, but at the moment... Can I just say it's really weird? And I know there are probably a lot of you who can identify with that, right? Yeah. And I made a joke about it on Facebook by posting a photo and saying, conservative evangelical minister learns to see world through a progressive lens. Boom, don't give up your day job, Howard. And I find it rather strange that using a progressive lens means that I look down my nose at other people's opinions and perspectives. And no, that's not from a posture of superiority. It's just simply to read it, I have to look down through the bottom of these glasses. But apparently the best way or the only way to get used to these new lenses is to put your glasses on first thing on the morning and leave them there all day long, and then take them off at night. To live seeing things in a new way. At the same time, I've been reading a book that talks about the word repent. And the authors say that we misunderstand this word, that we can think it means simply feeling bad about the things that we have done wrong. And so we ask for forgiveness to stop feeling bad or so bad about those things. And feeling bad does not really lay a solid foundation for true change. We need to have a vision of what can be. Uh, And we even are used to repent, meaning to turn around from going our own way to going God's way. But we usually think of it as a one-off event a conversion experience, although our grandchildren today uh, kind of pointed it at that it's a going God's way, is a life journey of repentance. Well, the authors in the book that I was reading suggested that the Greek word can mean to see things in a different way, which kind of gelled with, with what I was going through at the time. See things in a new way. 
And when Jesus starts his ministry in Matthew's gospel, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Come and see things in a new and different way. View the world through the lens of the kingdom of heaven breaking into the realms of humanity in the person of Jesus the Messiah. That will transform your life. Repent. View and live in the world through this new reality. And in the ethos section of our proposal to join together and become one, that sort of founding document of Hope Whangarei, it states that we aspire to truly understand, embody, and to proclaim Jesus' good news about the kingdom of God. It says that we have a clear vision for having a clear vision of the kingdom of God and living that out. And this year, to help us see that vision become more a reality, in our morning services, we're going to be working through Jesus' teaching in Matthew's gospel that speaks about the kingdom of heaven, which is Matthew's way, as a Jew writing to Jews, of saying the kingdom of God. As a Jew, he's reluctant to use God's, word, God's name, so he says heaven, which is where God reigns. The series is called A 2020 Vision of the Kingdom of Heaven. The manifesto, mission, meaning, and means of the much-awaited kingdom of heaven. Now, can I just sort of say, that's good preaching alliteration, right? It's a Sesame Street approach. It's brought to you by the letter M. And... Uh, can I just point out that it's a great play on the use of 2020 as the date and also the perspectives, the um, pres prescription for perfect vision, which I did think was clever when I thought of it last year, but as everybody's using it now, uh, I sort of see it as a cringeworthy, cheesy cliche. But hopefully it'll stick. And we're going to look at the five blocks of Jesus' teaching that Matthew presents in his gospel. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching on kingdom living in Matthew 5 and 7. To 7. Jesus' teaching on mission when he sends out his disciples in chapter 10. The parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. His teaching on being the church together in Matthew 18. And what's known as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 23 to 24. About what is to and what it means to wait for the kingdom be, to be consummated, to come in its fullness. And we started to, we're starting today with what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, I hate to break this news to you, it's election year. Grown, right? And so by the end of the year, we are going to be bombarded by party manifestos. People telling us what it will be like if we elect them to govern our country. And it's also an election year in the US. And that may overshadow our own elections as we see this ding-dong battle over whose vision of America and the free world that that nation chooses. And the Sermon on the Mount has been called the Manifesto of the Kingdom of God. We don't like the idea of the Gospel being political, but we tend to forget that good news, gospel, was a political word. Um, and politics is about how we live together as a community, as a people, 
and there's a society. And in the ancient world, what would happen is that a ruler would come and conquer a people and say, good news guys, I'm the boss. I have kindly... The batteries have gone flat. There we go. Oh no, flat batteries. I'm getting good at flattening batteries at the moment. It just seems to be happening in all my devices and stuff. Right. No, that's all right. Great. uh, A ruler would take over a region and say, Good news, guys. I am now in charge. And and that means that you... I've got to find where I was anyway. Hold on. That... uh, I've conquered you, and it means that you will live together as a people in this way. And in Jesus' day, you had the Romans say, this is the good news of Caesar Augustus. Live this way, and pay us taxes for the privilege, and these are the benefits for you. Peace, prosperity, commerce, protection, and we're not going to come and, and uh, put down your rebellion. Those are the blessings. Well, math and math... Okay, sorry. Could you mute it? Thanks, right? (laughs) All right. Now you can hear me. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and Matthew's birth narrative, which Matthew starts his gospel with, focuses on Jesus as being the long-awaited king of the Jews. And now Jesus teaches his good news of what it means that Jesus is Lord. And right away, Jesus calls us to see things in a different way. He starts off with what we know as the Beatitudes, what we had read to us, a list of people and attributes that are blessed and what that blessing entails. And right off the bat, it feels very disorientating because we're not used to thinking about people who are poor physically or poor of spirit as being blessed. People who mourn or thirst and hunger as blessed. We tend to think of the powerful, who not the meek and the humble, those who have peace, not those who make peace as blessed. Those who are popular and highly thought of as blessed, not when they're being oppressed, persecuted, put down and spoken falsely against. We see those who have their heart's desires met, not the pure of heart as blessed. And maybe we're okay with those who show mercy, but we tend to think that people get what they deserve. And commentator uh, Matthew Woodley talks of a friend of his who he was talking about Christianity to, who he read the Beatitudes to, simply shaking his head and walking away because they just didn't make sense to him. And Jesus flips the way that we see who and what is blessed on its head, upside down. Or is it that we are used to seeing things the wrong way up? in a topsy-turvy manner. And in Jesus, 
the kingdom of God sets things right, puts it the right way up. Because, you see, we tend to view things through our Western materialistic worldview, but Jesus and Matthew and his disciples in the crowd, their hopes, their expectations, their vision of the future was shaped by the scriptures of the Old Testament, and in particular passages like Isaiah 61 that we had read out to us today, that gave hope to the exiles suffering physically and spiritually, but continuing to trust in God, that there would be a time when God would establish his kingdom and put things right. And they were looking forward to that time. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus starts his ministry in synagogues by quoting from Isaiah 61 to say that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to blind, to set free the prisoners, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus proclaims that reality. Well, this is an introduction to the series, so we're not going to be able to get uh, a chance to delve too deeply into the Beatitudes, and we could spend you know, eight weeks looking at them, but we're not going to. But I want to make a, just a series of quick comments about what the Beatitudes say to us about God's kingdom. And the first might sound rather obvious, but it's all about Jesus. You see, the context for Jesus' teaching in, in verse 1 and 2 was that Jesus called his disciples to himself and began to teach them. The teaching is for those who had already uh, had made a commitment to follow Jesus, who had been captivated by him, who saw that just maybe he was the Messiah that they longed for. And the crowd in this case, listen in and hear from it uh, and, 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 and listen and it's, it helps them to know who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. But also we may think that the Beatitudes give us this list of characteristics of a dis disciple that's unrealistic and over the top. But in actual fact, they paint us a great picture of who Jesus was. I've just started reading a book called uh, Beard Theology, A Holy History of a Hairy Face. And it talks about pictures of Jesus. And apparently the, the earliest pictures of Jesus were, was of a clean-shaven Jesus, but that was Jesus portrayed as a, as a Roman, not as a Jew. But we don't really have any idea of what Jesus looked like. But when you read the Beatitudes, you get a great picture of Jesus. Jesus himself speaks of being meek and gentle and lowly of spirit, trusting in God, even on the cross. He shows mercy. He is the ultimate peacemaker between uh, humankind and God, calling us together across the, all the divisions of humanity to be God's people together. He mourns for the restoration of God's people. And Paul will later call Jesus' followers to imitate Christ. And that's the picture we have in the Beatitudes of Christ. Secondly, the Beatitudes are this wonderful, amazing welcome to all in the kingdom of heaven, specifically those who the religious people of Jesus' day saw as being outsiders or in no way blessed by God. It's a welcome to them. The poor, the sick, the lame, the broken and the hurting, those beset by difficulty and tragedy, even, those, even though despite those things they still long for God's help and love. You see, at the heart of the kingdom of heaven is the great offer of God's love and grace. 
And sometimes we can think of the Beatitudes as a list of qualifications for God's blessing. To be blessed by God, we need to be more like this, and we forget that it's a proclamation of good news. The blessing is God's welcome and love and care and consolation. We forget that at the heart of the gospel is Jesus' offer of grace. We want to jump right to, well, how do I earn it? We forget that it's about grace. We want to, uh, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, we often read the Ten Commandments as a to-do list to earn God's favour. And we forget that they come at at 20-odd chapters into the story of God redeeming Israel out of Egypt, fulfilling God's gracious promise to their ancestors. We want to earn it, but it's about grace. And, uh, it's, but it's more about how we respond uh, to what God has done for us. You are loved and invited in by God. The broken will be whole, our poverty met with the resources of God's kingdom. Our sorrow comforted by God. As we experience that in Christ, our hearts are turned to peacemaking and mercy and being meek working for the common good and not being turned aside by hatred, slight, false accusations or persecution. And it invites us to see people through the eyes of the kingdom of heaven, through Jesus' eyes. The Beatitudes to see uh, us to see people who uh, we might uh, consider as not blessed, uh, to see them with dignity and not as being marginalised but important to God and his kingdom. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount shows us how to show that dignity and love. One of the challenges when it comes to studying and understanding and applying the Beatitudes is the difference between Luke and Matthew's versions. Luke's version focuses on the physical need, the poor, the hungry, those who weep, and those who are persecuted. And he reinforces that with a series of woes for those who are invested in being fulfilled in this life. The rich, the full, those who simply seek amusement. And doesn't that say something to our device, sort of addicted society? And those who simply look for uh, public affirmation and approval. And Matthew is often accused simply of uh, spiritualizing Jesus' teaching. But the reality is that they speak to the kingdom of God being about both. In fact, they're intertwined and they call us to both be about evangelism about inviting people into the kingdom of God and about justice and peace in our world. It invites us to have the passion for the lost of a Billy Graham, the compassion for the least of a Mother Teresa, and the courage to dream and dare for difference and justice of a Martin Luther King Jr. And that might be setting the bar rather high But all three are examples of God's kingdom at work in this world. I find comfort also in the fact that in the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us that being blessed is not tied to our circumstances. Rather, it comes from God's goodness and God's promise and God's provision and God's salvation. When we face difficulty and trouble, when we find ourselves joining the psalmist in the prayer, how long, O God, that we can trust that God is setting things right. 
And when it comes to that, we live in the tension between the already and the not yet. We can experience in this life God's presence and God's kingdom in our lives now. But because Jesus has come and inaugurated his kingdom in his life, death and resurrection. And we have this hope that it will have a future fulfillment when Christ returns to finally set all things right. With my new glasses, I'm learning to see things differently. Hopefully, to see them more clearly. This is the, only the second time I've preached with glasses on. Uh, yeah. And with the Beatitudes, Jesus invites us to start seeing things through the lens of the kingdom of heaven. To start to see things in our topsy-turvy world the right way up. Let's pray. Loving God, we want to thank you very much for Jesus, for his coming into this world, for his life and his death and his resurrection. And through that, we are reconciled with you. Through that, your kingdom has come. We want to thank you that you call us into that kingdom through grace to be people who might see the world and live in a new way, in a way that is the kingdom of heaven. And we pray as a church that you would help us in our aspiration to fully understand and comprehend and to live out of the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom of God. We pray that in your mighty name. Amen. Lord.